Welcome to the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike, with our co-host, Logan Schultz. And the podcast is brought to you by MUCC, Michigan United Conservation Clubs, and our on-the-ground program, Hunters, Anglers, and Trappers, volunteering for fish and wildlife habitat on public land. And that's supported by the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, Wildlife Habitat Grants, the Saginaw Bay Watershed Initiative Network, and Outdoor Life's Open Country Program. Here's the show. Welcome to Episode 18 of the Michigan Out of Doors Podcast. In the studio today, we have Logan, the gun nut Laker Schultz. Yeah. And we have a very special guest who had to travel all the way from down the hall, Executive Director of Michigan United Conservation Clubs, Dan Eichinger. Good morning. So what we want to talk about today is Michigan United Conservation Clubs. Um, Of course, for those of you that have been listening, probably know we are produced by Michigan United Conservation Clubs. Both Logan and I are on staff at MUCC. But we haven't yet talked about what MUCC is and how we fit into the conservation picture in Michigan. So who better to talk about who MUCC is than the boss, the head conservationist in charge, (laughs) Dan Eichinger. So Dan, before we get into the long and illustrious history of Michigan United Conservation Clubs... um, you recently went duck hunting, actually, with the wildlife chief of the DNR, uh, Russ Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that? You, you have any luck? It was. It's always a good time. We went over to uh, the Shiawassee River State Game Area, the managed waterfowl area there. I hunted with Russ. I've I've hunted with Russ many times. Um, we also hunted with Brian Cease uh, and a couple of guys from the Shiawassee Flat Citizens and Hunters Association. Um, Shiawassee Flats is an organization that has done an absolute ton amount of work out at the, uh, the managed waterfowl area. They raise a lot of money um, for the engineering and all that other happy stuff that goes into making that place tick. Uh, so it's always great. I've hunted, with, um, I've hunted with Russ and Brian a number of times. Actually, I shot my first duck with, Ru- with um, Russ and Brian uh, about seven or eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago, uh, those guys took me out on my first duck hunt and it was a totally awesome experience. In Shiawassee, all the managed waterfowl areas that we have in the state are great examples of a world-class public land hunting opportunity. Um, So for those of you who are not waterfowlers, and I can't claim to being much of a waterfowler, um, but the fact that we have literally down the road uh, some world-class waterfowling opportunities make sure that you hook up with somebody who goes out and hunts those areas because they are way, way cool. Logan, you hunt ducks pretty regularly. You've been out to Shiawassee? Oh, once or twice I have, but that was a couple years ago, and I'm not that familiar with it, even though it's pretty close to my house. Yeah, it is right down the road for you. Yeah, it's not far. I need to hook up with one of those local hunters, like you said, so I can get out there and see what it's all about. Well, and it's, I mean, you know, it seems like, most of those guys are always looking, you know, always happy to take somebody out. Um, they all have awesome boats. They all have, you know, the complete decoy set up. They have, they're all great callers. Um, it's just a really, really cool experience. It, it's adjacent to a uh, refuge, a federal refuge. Um, so, I, I mean, every time I've gone out there and I've been hunting there maybe eight or ten times now, it's just, you know, 
it's just one of those truly cool experiences that we have in Michigan and and uh, like I said before I mean it's kind of a great example of a world-class hunting opportunity on public land and unfortunately I don't think there are too many you know too many people who can say that we have world-class public land hunting opportunities but we have them right here in Michigan and they are waterfall areas the managed waterfall areas you know one thing and that I did not hear you say is if you got any ducks oh yeah <laughs> it, the birds were a little bit slow on Monday um I did shoot a hen mallard, I shot a goose, and then Russ and Dave, one of the other guys in the party, uh, also shot a goose. I think we shot four geese um, within the group, and then we just had the one the one hen mallard that we shot. Uh, so I ended up taking all the, all the ducks and geese home, and um, so we're going to have some tasty treats at my house here pretty soon. Awesome. We, we actually had some tasty treats in the office yesterday we had an all-staff meeting and amy trotter who's been on the podcast and is our deputy director here at mucc she went out um last week Mm -hmm. with our um intern from her hometown of sheboygan ashley um as well as chuck nelson right um with uh, msu and they got a goose, a fairly big goose, that Amy gave me a little bit of grief about, saying that it was bigger than my deer, which was not totally true, but close. <laughs> Almost. Um, <laughs> but anyway, she made up a barbecue um, pulled goose almost, mm-hmm. and we had a... Like Italian goose sandwiches. Right, yeah. so we had like Italian goose sliders. Mm-hmm. And you contributed some very delicious venison. It was delicious venison. It was the... Very Logan, tender. true to form, <clears throat> contributed nothing to the meal. Right, uh, right. Dan, on the other hand, made some delicious, what was that? It was like pizza. It's like a pizza casserole. Pizza casserole. I kind of shopped my cupboards. It, it, it tasted better than it sounds. But no, it sounds pretty, pretty good, good yeah. too. Yeah. So with, with your waterfowl, are you going to bring that in for the office to enjoy like Amy, or are you going to hoard that for yourself? No, I'm, probably, I'm actually probably going to hoard some of that for myself. <laughs> I actually have um, my dad... And mom came through uh, town a week or so ago, and my dad had been doing some grouse and woodcock hunting in northern Minnesota, and on their way down, they uh, dropped off a load of woodcock in my freezer. So we've got timberdoodles in the freezer now. We've got uh, some really nice goose breast. We've got a couple of um, duck breasts. And one of the other things I did with uh, with the duck, uh, because I have a copy of uh, Wild Gourmet, the Boone and Crockett produced uh, cookbook that we've talked about on the show a few times, uh, I saved the duck tongue because one of the one of the things that Chef Dan recommends in Wild Gourmet is saving the duck tongue. Huh. Duck tongue, he says it's the best part hmm. of the duck. So I saved that this time, following that direction. So um, I'll need a few more before I can do anything with them. I think, but I at least saved it out, and uh, hopefully, yeah, with the remaining days we have in the waterfall season, I'll get a chance to to stick a few more ducks and and get them in the freezer. And just so you know, Dan's dad is not just a grouse hunter, uh, but he's also involved with the Rough Grouse Association, right? He is. He works for Rough Grouse Society, so he gets to spend most of the fall chasing grouse and woodcock, doing the things that we all wish we were doing. <laughs> um, so I would say he's he's just a grouse hunter. I would <laughs> He's not by no means a world-class grouse hunter, but he is. Uh, he loves hunting grouse. He loves watching the dogs work. Um, my mom and dad Sutter uh, died a couple of years ago. They had to put her down. Um, so 
my dad loves to go out and hunt with the dogs get the, you know get out and watch the dogs work and uh you know again if you haven't if you haven't hunted over dogs whether you're waterfowling or like you guys were talking about the other day you know with hounds for bear raccoon or whatever it might be or pointing dogs or flushing dogs uh, you know the harvest almost becomes secondary to watching uh, watching the dogs work and watch the joy that the dogs get out of having the opportunity to get out and work it's really a cool thing that's very true yeah no matter how it's done it's it is almost you know my favorite way of hunting is is over dogs whatever we're hunting for ducks upland doesn't matter it's a lot of fun now your dad also has a uh, history with MUCC too. He used to be the president of the board here. Yes, yeah. When I was uh, just a young pup myself, my dad was um, the president of the board uh, for MUCC. So I've been around the organization for my entire life. My sister, my dad was campaigning for the presidency of MUCC when my sister was born. Um, so I, I've told this joke, I've probably even told it on the podcast before, that I've probably been to every Holiday Inn in the, in the state of Michigan and MCC <laughs> at one time or another. But it's a great organization, having been able to grow up in this organization, um, watch my parents make the time for um, volunteerism, make the time for citizen advocacy. That's kind of what we do here is, you know, we take, you know, citizens, just, you know, regular folk who care a whole lot about natural resources conservation a whole lot about hunting fishing trapping and their rights and we get to channel all that and on the staff the privilege we have is being able to convert all that passion all that interest and excitement into uh, results on the policy side well i think this is a great time to transition back into the history of mucc then um so you really just kind of gave a great description of what we do as staff here at MUCC, basically, when when your everyday hunter and angler who's a member of MUCC has an idea, um, we're kind of the vehicle that that hunters and anglers can use to take that idea and turn it into reality on the ground. Um, so, how how did MUCC get started, Dan? Well, I mean, as our name implies, you know, the, the backbone of our organization are, are our affiliate clubs, the local conservation club that might be in, you know down the road from your house or you know that you you pass by <clears throat> those you know those clubs were uh, the place where you know people learned hunter safety for many many years you go and shoot recreationally um it was a place where you could kind of uh locally talk about you know local conservation issues and uh, you know and that kind of thing and you know understand that a lot of our you know, a lot of our clubs had their genesis and their origin right about the time that the, you know, professional wildlife management was, you know, starting to be a thing in this country back in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, through the 40s and 50s, as we saw the recovery of, you know, a lot of iconic wildlife species because of the contributions that hunters, anglers, and trappers made. So MUCC um, got started basically by um, the Kent County Conservation League, which is uh, still in existence, still an MUCC affiliate, affiliate club. Our first president, Harry Gaines, was a very prominent member of KCCL. Um, there was an issue that, you know, we've kind of seen history repeat itself um, a couple of times in the ensuing 78 years that we've been around, where, um, you know, we saw the insertion or the invasion of politics into natural resources management and back in the 1930s they 
issue at that time was uh, the politicization of the uh, Department of Conservation was what our uh, Department of Natural Resources was called at the time. The governor, um, with the assistance of some folks in the legislature at the time, wanted to politicize the appointment of the director and. You know, and I think we recognize then, as we certainly recognize now, that, you know, natural resources management ought not be subject to the whimsy and to the expediency of whatever um, political party happens to be in control at that time or the preferences and what have you of of the governor at the time. And the, the reason for that is the management decisions that get made um, don't sort of fit neatly and uh, don't fit neatly within uh, a political term. You know, the decision that you make about forest treatment, the decision you make about harvest and bag and where to put, you know, where to put conservation effort and that kind of thing. Those, you know, those decisions last well longer than um, than a political term. And as a result of that, we need people who are thinking on that same sort of temporal scale. Um, so it was sort of that whole stew that we've, you know, we've seen brewed up again here in uh at various points over the last 25 or 30 years that, you know, our, you know, our clubs or what became our clubs at the time really recognized the threat that that posed to professional natural resources management. And they got mad about it and they started writing letters to the legislature and they started um, marshalling support with other clubs. And uh, they were ultimately successful in their effort to, to, you know, sort of decouple the appointment of the, the director of the Department of Conservation from the, um, uh, the political perspectives of the governor and retained that authority within the Natural Resources Commission or the Conservation Commission, as it was known. Um, and sort of from that, then, you know, those clubs that worked really, really hard on writing all those letters and, uh, you know, I think they did a, a penny drive or something like that. They raised a little bit of money that bought stamps and postcards and all that happy stuff. They said, hey, that you know, this is a pretty good thing, and let's recognize that this is just one of many issues that folks, you know, that our folks are going to be interested in. So that's sort of what, you know, gave birth to MUCC in November of 1937 at the Shiawassee Conservation Association, which is over in Owasso. It's off M52. You can still drive by that building um, where the first formal meeting of MUCC as an organization was adopted. And um, you know, it's pretty cool that those those things are still around and that institutional memory is still here. You know, one of the things that, that I have on my wall is I have a copy of the original letter that Harry Gaines sent out to all of the other clubs. And the language, when you said they got mad about it, that's the language that's in that letter. You know, it's saying, hey, guys, we got to fight. Like, we can't lie down. We got to make sure that we create a sustainable, long-term statewide organization and he uses the word fight quite a bit Mm -hmm. that can fight against basically says all the evil people out there and all the evil ideas out there that we're always going to have to fight against and and i feel like that's something that we that we really do you know every once in a while we get mad and we fight so what we what have we been fighting on recently obviously i know but but how would you say what are the current issues that mucc is working on at least in the policy side that you think are most important that people need to know about? Well, one of the things that we've been really engaged on um, for the last couple of years is increasing penalties for poaching. And this cuts right to, you know, the soul of a hunter, the soul of an angler, the soul of a trapper. Um, 
you know, the media in their inarticulate way, um, whenever some whenever someone poaches, you know, the the headline invariably is, you know, hunter shoots illegal deer, or hunter does this, or trapper does that, or angler does that. Well, you know, all of us who follow the rules, um, all of us who you know, try and do things the right way and try and be ambassadors for hunting, for angling, and for trapping, know that those people aren't hunters, anglers, and trappers. They're poachers. Um, so it's important for us to demonstrate to the non-hunting public that we hunters, we trappers, we anglers take a strong stand and want to get those people the hell out of the woods, you know, just as badly, if not more so, than what they do. Um, because when someone takes an, takes an animal illegally, um, they're stealing from the public for sure, but they're stealing more from the people who are trying to do things the right way, who want to follow the rules, who are interested in um, perpetuating game animals and game species for generations to come. So we've been working a couple of years ago. We, we worked on some legislation that would increase the penalty substantially for uh, killing white-tailed deer illegally. Uh, this year, we followed that up with uh, a resolution that was passed at our convention and that we immediately put into, uh, put into action on our advocacy agenda to increase the penalties for poaching bear, elk, moose, eagles, and waterfowl. So, you know, we've been working that legislation through for in the last couple of months now, I think we've got it pretty close to the finish line now. Yeah, and actually, we're, as we're recording this um, just the day before, um, it moved on to uh, third reading. So when the legislature returns next week, it'll be ready for a, a final vote. And this is what we talk about when we talk about taking ideas from hunters and anglers. Um, this particular resolution was sponsored by Jim Price, uh, one of our members who um, is that Region of the, 4 Vice President. Yep, and and also a very dedicated hunter safety instructor. Um, and the the original whitetail poaching uh, bill came out of one of his resolutions as well, and it was he had an idea based on a meeting he had attended and heard about a problem with poaching. said, you know what, we ought to adopt this idea and increase penalties for poaching. It went from his idea through the policy process, bill passed, and now we have that again. You brought it forward a suite of resolutions. Our membership approved it um, pretty much unanimously, I think. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, and now we're about to pass a bill. And that's, that's kind of what we do here at MUCC. We take ideas that are good for conservation. We take them from the idea stage, and we end up with public acts. Right. And, and I think that's a strong testament to the, to the power of what we do. But it, we don't just work on policy. No. Um, we also have a very strong um, education and communication component. We have a few different programs. Um, why don't you tell folks, if they're not already aware, what some of our different programs are and kind of some of our different um, fields of work are. Sure. Well, you know, as you mentioned, Drew, there, we've always been active in sort of the, the policy advocacy arena. We've also, since 1946, run uh, the Michigan Outdoors Youth Camp, and in our, I don't even know because I'm not very good at math, 69 years, something like that, um, that we've been running camp. We've had 56,000 kids go through that program. So I grew up in Holland, and so basically what that's, what I what I just said is that the population of the city of Holland has go, gone through one of our camps. 
That's amazing. Over the last 69 years. So it's pretty... It's a pretty cool thing. We have a, uh, a neat facility down in Cedar Lake, just outside of Chelsea, the Cedar Lake Outdoor Center. We run camp for six weeks in the summer from the last uh, the last little bit of June through the first part of August. Um, our campers uh, run the gamut from age 9 up through age 16, and we kind of segment out, um, segment the kids and the campers out um, based on age group. And then we also have different curriculums. We have different camps that, that people can attend. So maybe you're interested in fishing. Um, so we have a camp that's focused on, you know, developing fishing skills and that type of thing. We've got uh, Trap Camp, which is all about developing skills as young trappers to be, you know, taking care of fur, you know, how to set up the different traps, all that uh, kind of thing. We've got Big Game Camp. Uh, we've got a Conservation Connection Camp, which is kind of a sampler camp that gets you into a whole variety of things. We get kids out um, exploring in the bogs. We get them out in the kayaks, uh, floating around uh, Cedar Lake where they can do fishing and all that kind of stuff. But then we do, we have some macro-invertebrate programming. So we're really trying to introduce um, introduce young people to what it means to be uh, a conservationist, what their role is as a conservationist when you buy that hunting license, when you buy that fishing license or that uh, fur harvester's license. It doesn't just mean that you're... A hunter, it means that you're a hunter conservationist, and there's, you know, there's work that we are expecting you to do, um, because there are folks that did it uh, in a generation prior to you, so that we have these resources to enjoy. So just trying to kind of introduce people to that, and you know, uh, camp is just a really, you know, it's just a really cool thing. If you've got a, a son or a daughter or niece, nephew, uh, grandson, granddaughter. Uh, that le- needs a little bit more nature in their life. Send them our way. We're happy to happy to have them. We have a really great camp. Um, our our camp director Sean just does a really great job. We pull in an excellent staff every year. We take really good care of the kids. They eat well. Um, the facility is really cool. We have and you know the feedback that we get from our campers is phenomenal. We had uh, one one little girl this year. Uh, came to camp three consecutive weeks in a row because she just had <laughs> uh, had an absolute yep. blast. We have a lot of return, uh, a lot of returning campers, a lot of a lot of kids who come to camp, and then their uh, siblings end up coming to camp. So there's a you know it's a unique experience. It's a great experience, um, and we're just really you know really proud to to have that camp and be able to be able to do that. And then we also have, um, since 1947, so just a year after we started hosting the camp, we've been publishing Michigan Out of Doors magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also, since the late 70s, have been producing Tracks magazine. 1978. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, we've got the advocacy piece. We've got the uh, education piece uh, through camp. And, and, and Tracks a little bit kind of blurs the line between the education and the communications side of the house because one of our other important responsibilities is to let people know what's going on. I mean, we're here in Lansing every day for better or for worse. And, um, you know, that means we are privy to a lot of meetings and happenings and all that kind of thing that affect your, uh, affect your hunting and affect your fishing and, and your trapping seasons and all that kind of stuff. And well, we are the, we are your camo at the Capitol. Yes, we are. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we've got a, a responsibility to let people know, hey, what's going on, and to try and provide some analysis as to, you know, how, you know, how regulations will affect your hunting season or, 
you know, some of the other things that have been happening that I think are really interesting or, you know, some of the work that's been done to really understand like the economic value of hunting and fishing and trapping to Michigan's economy. Um, some of the demographic changes that hunting and fishing and trapping are undertaking, um, just being able to communicate with folks about those kinds of things and that kind of work. And we do that through, um, in part through Michigan out of doors magazine. Um, but you know, increasingly we're doing more and more of that through, um, the blogging that we're doing at MUCC.org through, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There's a lot of, you know, there's just a lot to talk about. And, you know, additionally, you know, Michigan Outdoors needs to be a vehicle where people can get introduced to, you know, a different, you know, a different way of hunting or a different approach or new skills and techniques and equipment and all that other kind of stuff that, you know, folks are interested in. I mean, we're all sort of recreationally interested in this stuff. So who doesn't like to read an article about, you know, catching a big walleye or, you know, shooting a tasty deer? And then um, we also have a a fairly new but burgeoning um, field program as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like to talk about this because I get to um, kind of see firsthand the work that uh, Anna Mitterling is doing with the Wildlife Cooperatives Program in Michigan. Um, you know, what she's doing is really organizing um, private landowners into wildlife cooperatives to collectively manage their habitat on their lands for wildlife, especially deer and pheasants. Um, her program is jointly funded, you know, by us, by the DNR, by Pheasants Forever, by QDMA. Um, so that's part of our field component. And then we also, of course, and you've heard this on on this podcast quite a bit, is we have the On the Ground program, uh, which is where we get volunteers out um, on some of those public land areas like you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier uh, to volunteer for public land, wildlife, habitat. And Sarah Topp, who was on the last episode, she's really taking a starting to take a, a greater leadership role in organizing those projects. And you can find a couple of those projects already for next year up on the website and sign up for those. We've got two coming up in December. Um so what else do we have here in-house that that we do here at MUCC that people need to hear about? Well, I mean, I think it's important for us to talk a little bit about, a little bit more about the field program for a minute. I mean, mm-hmm. the co-op program, one of the reasons why that's important is, you know, primarily oriented towards southern Michigan, you know, recognizing that the vast majority of land ownership in southern Michigan happens on private land, which also means then, of course, that the vast majority of the wildlife habitat is on private land. So if we're going to influence wildlife populations, um, if we're going to, you know, if if we're going to continue to manage, you know, whitetails and turkeys and pheasants and all that kind of thing down here in, in southern Michigan, you know, obviously some of that strategy can be driven towards uh, the state game areas that we have down here, the state recreation areas that we have down here. But for now, it's also talking to... You know, private landowners and specifically, you know, big blocks of private landowners, the ability to influence, you know, the trend line for pheasants, the ability to influence the trend line for deer, turkeys, or whatever it is that you might be interested in is limited because, you know, if, if we can only manage or apply management on 4% of the land base, we're not really going to move the needle a whole lot, you know. So kind of recognizing that, you know, 
a and a you know in order to make our public lands more productive we've got to also create productive wildlife habitat and do you know some intentional management on the private land areas that sort of radiate out from those game areas so that's you know, part of the important work that Anna's doing is, you know, kind of knitting together those public, you know, those private landowners around those anchor points that we have on public land uh, to improve, you know, just overall improve, you know, all rising waters, raise all ships kind of a concept where, you know, by doing work on private lands, we're also, you know, improving the quality of, of the public land as well. And a lot of times we'll actually have, you know, we might have a volunteer project on that state game area. And then Anna's working with the private landowners around it to manage their habitat, and it all becomes part of one big wildlife habitat complex. Right. And, you know, like with OTG, like we've talked about on the program before, that, you know, the job the job of OTG is to improve public land, to get people, um, get volunteers, get, you know, the hunting public, the fishing public, the trapping public, and frankly, the non-hunting public, out together to do work uh, in the game areas, improving habitat. The thing that I think is really cool about that is when we've gone out and done projects, invariably we have people who have never held a gun in their life, some of them have never held a fishing rod in their life. They come out, they've got a shovel in their hands, they're doing work side-by-side side with hunters, anglers, and trappers. So what they see then, the image that they get in their mind's eye of who a hunter is, who an angler is, who a trapper is, is you know conditioned by... Well, I just I just stood next to that person, and we removed invasive species, you know, an invasive plant together. I stood next to that person and built a brush pile for a small game, you know. I stood next to that person and did X, Y, or Z to benefit wildlife. That's one of the ways that I think we're going to continue to enjoy the support of the non-hunting public when we wave our flag a little bit more and say, "Look at all the great things that we're doing to benefit wildlife." We put as much, you know, we put way more water in the bucket than we draw off every year. Um, during the season. So kind of recapping, we take the ideas of individual hunter, angler, trapper, conservationists and turn them into policy, into public acts, into regulations or the lifting of regulations where it's appropriate uh, to conserve wildlife species in Michigan. We protect the rights to hunt, fish, and trap. We educate the youth of Michigan and get them outdoors. We physically improve wildlife habitat on the ground, both on public and private lands. And then we make sure that everybody in Michigan understands what's going on with conservation, hunting, fishing, and trapping in Michigan. So if you think that those are pretty important things to be done, I mean, you could, you know, as a listener, you could go out and try to do each one of those things on your own. But the great thing about MUCC is everybody who thinks those important, those things are important, we're uniting them together, and then we're doing those for you. So if you want to support those things, you can just very easily become a member of MUCC. Go to MUCC.org. And Dan, what do they get for becoming a member in addition to supporting all of those really important things that we do? Well, the most the most important thing is that you're plugged into a community of hunters, anglers, and trappers who want to do good things for conservation. That's that's number one. Um, none of us are smarter than all of us, and none of us can do more than all of us can do together. And that's you know, frankly, the reason that you know any of us join anything is that hey, we we all kind of agree about some you know the basics, 
and together all of our voices are stronger than my voices alone. So that's the primary, you know, that's the primary benefit. I, I think the second most important thing about your membership with MUCC is that, um, you know, where we started this conversation was your ability to directly influence what happens to your resources. We have uh, a long history. We're a 78-year-old organization. Um, if you're an individual member and you want to change, you know, make a change on issue X or issue Y, you know, talk to our staff. We'll help you write that resolution, bring it to the other, you know, the other members, just like you at our convention in June. You know, let's get it adopted, and then we as the staff get to take that idea and go implement it on your behalf. Um, so for your membership dollar, you're not going to find more effective you know, more effective advocates than, than what you have here with MUCC. You're also going to get um, Michigan Editors Magazine in the mail, um, which, you know, as we've talked about, kind of runs the gamut on, you know, issues that are going on, you know, the things that are happening with hunting season, fishing season, whatever it might be um, during that time of the year. So, I mean, those are those are the primary benefits unless drew there's one that i'm forgetting that you really wanted me to (laughs) (laughs) no that that's it and and i'm glad that you mentioned that about the the power of you being a member of mucc is that you're part of that almost army of conservationists because like if dan goes to a legislator and says we need to see you know this bill cracking down on poaching pass if it's just dan they're gonna say get out of my office but if it's Dan with forty or 50,000 conservationists behind him, they're going to listen and they're going to pass that bill. You know, if Sarah and I go out to a state game area to improve wildlife habitat, and it's just the two of us, you know, we're going to run some chainsaws. We're going to have some fun. We're going to cut up a few trees. But we're not going to get much done. It's pretty much just going to be Sarah and I standing there with a shovel and a chainsaw. But if we've got 30 or 40 or 50 people out there, we're going to get something done for wildlife habitat. Same thing with Anna. If she goes out to private land to you know, improve private land habitat and it's just her, they're going to prosecute her for trespassing, you know, but if she's there and she's organizing landowners because you're a member and she has your support, then we're going to be able to improve wildlife habitat. So, you know, everything that we do requires the support of people like you that are listening, but also you're able to get that stuff done because you're working with other people and like-minded people like you, and you're doing that through us and through MUCC. So that's kind of the cool thing about kind of why we exist and what we do. So anything else for the good of the order? Logan? Nope. Still just basking in that Lake Superior State University victory over MSU in hockey last you night? You guys can't yeah. see this, but he is wearing a truly... <laughs> awful sweatshirt <laughs> i don't have any problem with lake state that's not my well, issue it's just that it, it does, a it's a crew neck sweatshirt <clears throat> that doesn't fit you very well we've got well nothing fits me very well anymore but <laughs> uh, we've got a few lake state alums here in the office we so do. Yep. You, you should sean yep, yep we should uh we should keep those relations solid but yeah recording this uh the friday after the michigan state home opener last night and uh Spartans did not play very good hockey, much to my enjoyment. So there are two ways to handle this. You know, both Dan and I went to Michigan State, just so you know, and so you guys beat us in hockey. Yep. So there are two ways can handle this. We can handle this the Michigan State way, and we can say, congratulations, you beat us. That's one way to handle it. That's one way to handle it. Now, there was another game last Saturday between two other schools from the same state. 
maybe you heard about it, but Michigan State beat the University of Michigan in football again on just maybe the greatest play ever. (laughs) So the other way to handle that LSSU win over Michigan State would be to say, well, that was a fluke. We used to win a lot in hockey and just wait and see we're going to beat you in the future and the hockey refs were bad. That would be one way to handle it. Yeah, but we're not going to handle it that way. We're going to say congratulations on your win and uh, with another go one coming, green. another one coming tonight. So, yeah. Who are you playing tonight? Michigan State again. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got a chance for redemption. Yeah, it's going to be really sad at midnight madness tonight with two losses in a row for the hockey team. Well, Lake State's kind of a hockey. They're kind yeah. of a hockey juggernaut. You almost well, might I don't say know about juggernaut. They're like they are to hockey what like Michigan State is to football and basketball. I don't know. I don't. I don't have a horse in those races. So. <laughs> I will say that. I mean, another thing that we can say about Lake State is they have an awesome fisheries program. Yes, right. they do. Awesome fisheries. So if you have a if you yourself are looking at getting into fisheries management or you have someone in your life who wants to study natural resources and is particularly interested in fisheries, check out Lake State. They've got an awesome program, very applied. Everybody there, you know, who's doing fish research, you know, you're going to get experience running hatchery, driving boat, doing all the applied kind of fisheries management stuff. I know that the Department of Natural Resources these days is hiring a ton of fish biologists out of the Lake State program. So it's a really good, really good, well-respected, well-regarded program. And while I didn't go to it, yes, I can. In spite of the fact that. that Logan is an alumni of of Lake State, they are they have <laughs> really good some really good programs. I'm, hopefully, their standards have changed a little bit since your admission to the fine university. <laughs> well, we all make mistakes, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> well, well, now that now that Dan has recovered and saved us from alienating all of the Lake State alums from support of MUCC. Uh, Hopefully we'll be able to do that in future episodes and recover all of the University of Michigan fans that I have now alienated. This has been episode 18 of the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. Go to MUCC.org to become a member to support all of the fine work that we do. And go to MUCC.org slash on the ground to volunteer for the next upcoming public land wildlife habitat project that you can get involved in. Thank you for listening to another edition of Michigan Out of Doors podcast. Defend your rights to hunt, fish, and trap by joining MUCC at MUCC.org.